Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I didn't realize you could have a stroke for a physical injury, an injury could cause it. I was healthy and um, upwardly mobile and always out and about, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. If your body was a was a was a block block diagram, I could feel bits of it starting to switch off, and my I, I felt my lung collapse and my arm drop, and I couldn't hold myself up, and my speech became slurred, and I, you can phys- physically feel the muscles in your face just relax and sag, and I thought. I'm in, I'm in a lot of trouble here. This is very, very serious. I wanted and I pushed myself to talk about things that I thought people would want to hear but were uncomfortable uh, in terms of how the, it affects your stroke, you know. They're the things that no one was talking about or and I needed the answers, I needed to be reassured. Hello and welcome to Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year. That's one every five minutes. And around the world, there could be as many as 15 million people suffering from the illness every year. It's usually sudden, and it can be a devastating illness. And yet, despite amazing work by the Stroke Association and support groups up and down the country, when I had my strokes, I found that there wasn't a vast resource you can go to online whether you're the patient or somebody who's close to a patient. That said, the road to recovery can be long, and so, on the Stroke Stories podcast, we've been seeking out inspiring stories and visiting stroke survivors. In this podcast, we went to meet 38-year-old sales engineer Dan Needham from Norfolk in the UK, who along with his wife Susie and young son Henry is still dealing with the physical and mental scars of his stroke. He shared with us how a typical weekday morning would turn into one that changed his life forever. I was driving to work one Monday morning. I sneezed and went blind basically. Thought I'd detached the retina. It was a small stroke, the first one, but the second one was, was much, much bigger and much worse in much the same way. I've got to be honest, I, at no point did I think it was a stroke. I'd seen the fast adverts and just, like I said, I think I, I thought I'd detached a retina. So I rang Suzanne, um, who was going to work on a different road, and she came and found me, um, due to her experience, was, was fairly confident pretty early on that I'd had a stroke. Check my balance, check my gait, and my grip. And it was at that point we uh, we spoke to the uh, the NHS hotline and uh, made our way to the hospital. But I had no idea. Literally, 
probably three hours into being in A&E, I was told I'd had a stroke and it was just a huge shock. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. I think they had their suspicions quite early on, but they needed to be sure. Um, and it was probably in the, I was in in the morning, so it was probably into late afternoon before they came and officially said, you know, you've, you've had a stroke. Being a young person with the presentation that they had didn't necessarily lend itself to being a stroke. Um, so it did take a bit more investigation and then they found it had a, a dissected artery in his neck which had caused the clot to go up into his brain. I think the indicator was at the point where they said, have you been in any kind of pain recently? And I said, yes, I've had some pain in my neck uh, on a scale of one to 10. Where would you put that scale? For about a week previous, I'd been in an awful lot of pain. I was chewing through painkillers just to get through the day. And I said, it's about a nine. That's when they started getting a bit more I could see that they, they were starting to focus on what they suspected it might be, and the pain in the back of the neck at the base of the skull. And it was not too long after that that the... Uh, it, I, I was being seen by a junior doctor in a and &E, and he, he said, I suspect you may have had a stroke, and then the consultant came down and confirmed it. So I'm laid back anyway, and uh, by the time we got to the hospital, a lot of my symptoms had just faded away. Um, my eyesight had returned, and... I didn't feel too bad. Uh, my balance wasn't particularly great, but I just felt a little bit, bit lightheaded. Um, so I was almost relaxing on the gilly when they said, oh, you've had a stroke. And I was just like, don't be daft. No, I haven't. I'm a 35-year-old man. I didn't realise you could have a stroke through a physical injury, an injury could cause it. I was healthy and, and upwardly mobile and always out and about. and. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. I think he coped a little bit too well. I think he was... I think he was in denial, to be honest. I think, yeah, I was. I feel better. I'm fine. I think that the, the word stroke went in one ear and out the other, almost. I, I think I was in complete denial. And when they said on the Wednesday, you can go home, he, he nearly skipped out of the door. And I thought, gosh, this is too late. We've got an hour journey. I don't think this is a, a good idea, just being rushed out the door. But he, he was just desperate to get back to normal. Um, and almost forget that it happened, I think. I, at that point, I had not got my head round or even understood the severity of the situation. I was almost daft enough to think, oh, it's like a cold. Once you've been diagnosed, they'll give you some pills and off you go and you go and get well. You've had a lucky and very narrow escape. I was so naive, so naive. Dan thought the worst was over. However, that weekend, he suffered a second stroke that would put him in critical condition and would have an impact that continues to resonate to this day. Second time, I could tell it was, it was serious. Um, my face slipped. And I could just feel, like, almost like if your, if your body was a, was, a, was a block, block diagram, I could feel bits of it starting to switch off and my, I felt my lung collapse and my arm drop and I couldn't hold myself up and my speech became slurred and I've, you can phys physically feel the muscles in your face just relax and sag and I thought, I'm in, I'm in a lot of trouble here. This is very, very serious. We were just celebrating the weekend having a bacon sandwich <laughs> and I, mm. I saw his face droop in front of my eyes and it was the scariest thing ever. I can, I can vividly remember the sensation of the second one. Uh, I can only describe it as it felt like someone, when you're young and your mum 
gives you a bath and she washes your hair and she pours water over the back of your head. And I just felt like a warm sensation run down my neck, uh, down my shoulders. And as it went, parts of me were starting to switch off. Um, and I just thought, oh dear. Because I thought to myself, you've got away with this. You need to be a bit more careful with yourself. But it ha I hadn't twigged at how close I'd been. And then when that one came along, I, I knew I was in a lot of trouble. And that second one was also triggered by a very violent succession of sneezes and then immediately after the face drooped and it was, yeah, to see it happen was absolutely shocking. The paramedic, she had actually had a stroke, very similar, and she completely recognised it straight away and knew that time was of the essence. Um, the whole NHS, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't find the words to thank them, I really can't. The people I met in there, have changed my outlook on life. Before the stroke, I was, I wouldn't say I was self-centered, but you know, I was probably even worse before I met Susie, but I was career driven. I was just wanting everything now and I was going after it and I didn't have any kind of conscious thought about my impact and my empathy for others. Uh, and then I had my stroke and you go into you end up in a building in an establishment that is completely driven to help other people at at any cost. That's the whole culture of the NHS is to, you come in here and you're special, we're gonna put you back together and we're gonna get you back on your feet. We're we're lucky we live in a world where we've got free healthcare and my son, he's gonna benefit from that. When I get older I will benefit from that. We need to protect it. I'm here because of it. Before the stroke, he was very carefree. You know, he didn't think of going off on his motorbike for the morning or um, going out on the, the dirt bike. You know, very dangerous riding, and that would just be done in the blink of an eye. But now there's much more consideration in terms of me and, and Henry and, and what he might put us through, I guess. Um, yeah, I've not been on the bike since. I had a tumble on my dirt bike the day before my stroke, and even regardless of the pain I was in beforehand, that's probably, putting it bluntly, the straw that broke the camel's back and escalate things to being not just neck pain but a stroke. That second stroke kept Dan in hospital for three weeks. During his stay, he continued to find it difficult to accept his illness. Well, I was still in denial. I still wanted to go home every morning. When am I going home, Doc? When am I going home? Uh, and I couldn't walk. I couldn't, couldn't get myself out of bed. When Dan was discharged from hospital, he found that he'd been lucky. Suzanne was able to help him with his physical recovery and the plans he'd put in place for his future were crucial in keeping him focused and motivated. I didn't have to learn to swallow. I was lucky there. Um, I'm very lucky that my wife's a physiotherapist, so I was getting double helpings. and I, had, I think I was also lucky in the fact that We'd just got engaged and we were having this, this house was being built for our first family home together. I had a wedding to think about. So I had, I had huge motivators and I was hanging on to them too for now. I was gonna walk out of that hospital. I was gonna get my whole, my whole life back. Um, in, the, in the grand scheme of time that didn't happen, things change. Um, but I look at the stroke now and although it's, Life is hard and it's painful and I wish to God I'd never been through it. My life is better because of it. Um, I take the positives from it.
unfortunately knowledge is is not helpful in these situations <laughs> when we got into A&E the doctor said I think it's a brainstem stroke now a, ba- a brainstem stroke can be life-changing um, it affects your swallow it affects your breathing capabilities all those functions that you need to function in life so at that point I was I was very worried um, what the outcome would be Dan was very sleepy he was barely communicating um, he wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything so at that point I was thinking the worst luckily um, he recovered really well his swallow wasn't affected his speech wasn't particularly affected and it was really just the physical function that needed to improve so seeing it from a a physical side I was hopeful that things would improve well but the recovery from a stroke is very unpredictable so um, although I was hopeful that things would improve you just don't know. Dan's strokes came as a complete shock to him and his young family. However, with the support of his loved ones and with his continued focus on future goals, including taking care of his little boy, Henry, he was able to start his recovery on a strong footing. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Dan explains how talking helped him heal. The only way you can fight this now is to A, get better and B, Show, show you the world and, and your stroke that you're not scared and you, you can stand there and say, yes, I've had a stroke, this is me. And he explains how he pushed his mind and his body to help his recovery. I gave myself small benchmarks. Well, if I can walk to that seat, then maybe tomorrow I can walk a bit further. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. First, though, let's hear Dan's wife, Susie, on how the hidden disabilities caused by strokes are sometimes the toughest things to deal with. I mean, what what I wasn't um, kind of geared up for is, is how fatigue really affects stroke survivors um, and it's it's an, an area that's fairly poorly understood um, and really really impacts on somebody's quality of life and it's it's hard because physically you look well you look like you're you know, you're mobile you're able to carry out most of your activities to an untrained eye but you have all this other stuff going on in the background that no one can see that's when the that's when the stroke got really difficult to live with was when it became a, a hidden disability because you go out, you socialise, and to everyone, all intents and purposes, you're just, you're Dan again, you're just you. But inside, you're dealing with post-traumatic stress, fatigue, um, you, you can't concentrate, your coordination is, has gone, and you're almost, you're, you're almost like a, like a small child again, trying to live in a big world. You know, I couldn't, eat, I couldn't go around supermarkets because the, um, 
the, the false light would, would set off my fatigue uh, and it would be violent it put me in bed for two three days in the early days and you can't not go to the supermarket you have to go and to say I'm not going to go that's more stress on Suzanne and you know and all the time you're trying to get back to where you started from before the stroke you're trying to get your life back you're trying to be you again um, and it's taken me till this summer to sort of to come to terms with the fact that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be who I was before, but life is better now. I've had a lot more counselling and actually invested my time into it. I think I'm a bit too much of a, a red-blooded man in the fact that I've, I think that's all fuddy-duddy and your thoughts and feelings, you can just suppress them. Um, but you can't because sooner or later they will eat their way out and, and, uh, and have an impact on your life. And they did. Um, and I had to come to terms with it. I had to come to terms with the fact that most of your days are going to be spent with some sort of um, physical or mental discomfort or pain. Um, but that's okay. Um, we have to factor that in. I've, I've just spent two years, I guess, trying to fight it. Just fight it too for now to, to wipe it clean. And that you can't. It's so hard to talk about. Um, when you're trying to pretend everything's okay. But the more you try and pretend, the, the more you make your life difficult. It's just best to get it, be honest. Dan found the stroke aftercare that he'd had just wasn't enough. He found it difficult to get all the answers to all the questions that he had. Everyone's stroke is different, and Dan used Facebook to help create a support network for people with shared experiences. I was, to be honest, the reason, the reason I started, I was, I was scared. Um, and you get told you've had a stroke and they give you a leaflet and there's there's no information they can give you, you the first question you ask is so what's, what's my future going to look like what what can I expect and your consultant and the doctors and the nurses will say we don't know because every every stroke is like a fingerprint they're all different so for me it was about trying to find answers and to show myself almost that I'm okay and uh, almost fight back the stroke you know they, you have to talk about things and I, I wanted and I pushed myself to talk about things that I thought people would want to hear but were uncomfortable uh, in terms of how the, it affects your stroke you know there's parts of my body that I lost complete sensation in as a young man putting it bluntly you kind of need them um, and they're the things that no one was talking about or and I needed the answers, I needed to be reassured. Could I have children, you know? My stroke was 50%, and that's 50% of everything. That's one half, right from front to back, completely stopped having any any interaction with me, my brain. Uh, my lung collapsed, so part of my bowel stopped doing what it should do, and then there's the, the, the nerve damage, and it was all just so terrifying, and there was no one out there who could give me any answers. So I thought, the only way you can fight this now is to A, get better, and B, show show the world and, and your stroke that you're not scared and you, you can stand there and say, yes, I've had a stroke, this is me. I think it gave people, and I will continue to do it, um, it gave people the chance to almost walk beside me and understand that day by day these are the challenges I'm facing and 
yes, there's some of it's embarrassing and it's raw and it's difficult to talk about, but if no one talks about it, we're all just sat there going through the same thing completely alone. There was three or four guys who I spoke to. I was being told to rest and listen to my body and these guys said, yes, you need to do that. But when you can push yourself, push yourself because you're pushing your limits. I wouldn't suggest that everyone should do it because every, everyone's stroke is different. But for me, that really worked because I gave myself small benchmarks. Well, if I can walk to that seat, then maybe tomorrow I can walk a bit further. And even if I didn't achieve them, I would reflect back in the early days of when I was in hospital. And you'll find yourself that you'll push yourself too far and you'll find your limit. And then you realise that it was too far so you can recalibrate. But I, I never looked at the, the negatives too closely. Like, well, I didn't achieve that today and I slept for three days. I just looked at it as you need to learn a lesson of that didn't work today, so you, you need to change your goal slide. And just kept almost like micro-managed the whole thing to every day I would do something a little bit more or a little bit tweak something to to keep myself motivated and keep moving forward. I, don't, I think if I'd had a different mindset and obviously a fantastic support from my wife and my family, um, if, my mind, if I hadn't been with Susie and you know, Susie's motivated as well. I, I think if I'd have been left to my own devices and, and not had that, and not, if I'd have stayed frustrated, I'd still be, I'd still be in a wheelchair, without a shadow of a doubt, I'd have given up. I'd have just stagnated and that would have been that. You know, you're at the bottom. The only way is to, to throw as much of it, of yourself into it and, and see what sticks really. If you sit there and go, well, I'm down and I'm staying down, that's essentially what's gonna happen. So I figured anything's a bonus from here. Um, we'll just give it everything. Dan is a very positive person. He, he always sees the good in everybody. Um, glass is half full all the time and it's, it's lovely. It's really nice to be around. And I think without that positivity, the outcome might have been very different. Dan's positivity is powerful. Dan and Susie's main learning is to surround yourself with people who can help maintain your positive outlook and who are able to support you through the worst and the best of times on the road to recovery. I think support networks are really important after stroke and I think you have to have positivity around you because you know if, if you're if you're struggling with your mood or you're you're starting to spiral if you're not with the right type of people then you, it will only go one way and you need to have the positivity to help make the best of your recovery. There will be days where that turn into weeks and they're horrible and you will get through them and you've just got to keep pushing yourself and self-motivate and just keep, you know, every time that your stroke rocks you down and, and, and makes you feel horrendous, fight it twice as hard because six months will go by and you'll all of a sudden realise that you know, I can make myself a cup of tea now or I've got my eyesight back, which happened to me. Um, and then another six months will go by and your fatigue might have dropped off a little bit more and you're more upwardly mobile. And it's all about, it's all about just setting yourself goals and, and, and just keep an eye on your progress because you are making progress. You struggled um, in the early days because you couldn't see improvements. I could see 
massive improvements, but you just you you're in a haze. You couldn't see how well you were doing. Oh, I've got no um, no patience. I, I've learned humility, and uh, and I've certainly uh, learned patience from it. Or I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm the most patient man on earth any, these days, but I've learned that some things take time. We live in a the Western world is everything you can have it now. You can't. Sometimes you've really got to pitch in and work for it, unfortunately. But you know, when you when you've put your heart and soul into it, the rewards are far sweeter. Making yourself a cup of tea and being able to look after yourself for one day. Um, in the early days, to me, that was everything. You you went back to work, and I got through a day on my own. I could, you know, I could yeah. get through a day. To me, that was. I thought right. We're on track now, we can, we can push this, we can move a bit further forward. Dan's story is an inspirational one. Being a young man and having to encounter such an illness at his age, he was able to overcome it through talking to people, creating awareness around strokes and their survivors, and by maintaining positive connections with his wife, his young son, his friends and his family. Thanks to Dan and Susie, and particularly Henry, who was far too interested in what was going on with our interview to go for his afternoon nap. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke, or someone close to you has, and you'd like to learn more, search for the Stroke Association online. And for the dedicated NHS webpage, search for NHS Strokes. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.